we must promote explicit agreement and visible union in extraordinary prayer. Can you repeat that with me? Here we go. To have revival, we must promote explicit agreement and visible union in extraordinary prayer. How do you think we're doing with that as a church? That's what I had to ask myself this week when I came across that statement. I'm like, well, I don't really know. I, I, you know, we pray. We pray here or there. We pray in our life groups. And I know families pray together. And we're gathering around. But what about the prayer that's needed? In that video you saw as we led into uh, our time in the Word, it referenced one of the prayer movements that is known historically in our country. And it was the prayer movement that happened, a revival in 1857 to 1859, a couple years. And it was started by a commoner. His name was Jeremiah Lamphere. And Jeremiah Lamphere, he was a highly successful business person in the Wall Street area of Manhattan for a number of years, I think 20 years. And he chose to give up that position to go work for a mission. And the mission that he went to work for actually was um, the remnants of uh, the Dutch Reformed Church had moved out of uh, this Fulton Street area. And if you want to know where that's at, it's like a couple blocks from ground zero where 9-11 happened, right? And the Twin Towers fell. So right down there in the business uh, world in those early years of uh, Wall Street, there was this uh, initiative taken by Jeremiah Lamphere after he left the business world to be able to start. And there was this facility, this building, and they, they said, well, what are we going to do with this building? Because the, the, the church sort of moved out of the burbs, out into the uh, midtown area, maybe, as we know it now. And they left this building down there, and they said, well, let's turn this building into a mission. And so he had... Uh, sort of taking this initiative to evangelize and to work in the lower Manhattan area. How can we reach people for Jesus? There was great need. There was great turmoil going on in our country at that time. We think there's a lot of turmoil today. Think about what was happening in those years. They were uh, in the middle of uh, the uh, slave um, uh, issue that was discussed, the Dred Scott decision had just come down a few months prior, which basically said, you know, the Supreme Court decision that African Americans weren't allowed to vote. I mean, you think about all the decisions that have been made by the Supreme Court. That was probably one of the worst, right? Thankfully, Supreme Courts make decisions to redo decisions that were wrong prior, right? And so they uh, had this conflict going on in the country, there had been some of the revival, some of the earlier years uh, in the 1800s with Charles Finney, but there was turmoil, there was stress, there was worried about the uh, southern states, were they going to succeed, and there was this conflict that was emerging. There was also the challenge that would happen just a couple, three months after the prayer meeting had started where uh, Wall Street sort of collapsed and it went into a recession and people were on the streets and they were uh, looking for jobs. 30,000 people, they say, were roaming the streets and begging for food because they couldn't feed their families. So there was political stress, there was social stress, there was economic stress, there was a lot of pressure coming into this. But on this particular day in um, 
1857, September 23rd, Jeremiah Lamper had established what he thought would maybe be a good idea to help the country and help people. He says, well, what if I just did a um, prayer meeting on a Wednesday, noon to one, rent the meeting space out, open it up, and any businessmen that want to come, whether it's for a little time, a lot of time, just come. And so he started out at noon on September 23rd. 1857. Here we go. He's excited. Who's going to come? He'd passed out a lot of flyers. He'd been getting word around. Who's going to come to the prayer meeting? And no one showed up at noon. No one showed up. You ever done anything that you thought you were going to have a big party turnout and then it sort of fizzled, didn't go well? A lot of mixed emotions. I put a lot of work into this. What's wrong with people? Why didn't they come? He didn't have anybody show up. Then after about 10 to 15 minutes, one person showed up. Then another five minutes, a second person showed up. And as articulated there in the video, he had six people show up for that first prayer meeting on Wednesday noon, 23rd, 1857. What would you do if you had six? Shut her down? I'd have a tendency to shut her down. Like, I don't want to, you know, do provide something that people aren't interested in. And so he came back the next week, and lo and behold, the next week there was like 20 people that showed up, 12 to 20 people. And then the next week they did it again, and like 40 people showed up. And so the fourth week they decided to do it every single day of the work week. Open up the meeting hall. Have people come in, and as it says here, this is what our time's going to be. There's going to be a leader leads off. There's going to be a hymn. They sang a hymn, and then they opened it up for prayer concerns, prayers and exhortations, not to exceed five minutes in order to give all an opportunity, not more than two consecutive prayers or exhortations, no controverted points discussed. Actually, I think these are some pretty good instructions for a prayer meeting today. What do you think? And so... He posted this, they met, and this thing grew and grew and grew by the thousands. Not only in Manhattan, but it spread to other cities, to Cleveland, to St. Louis, to Philadelphia, to Chicago. And there were thousands and thousands upon thousands of people across the United States who began to pray. And people were coming to know Jesus Christ through this prayer effort, especially when the economy just blew up. And people were like, what do we trust in now? Remember what 9-11 was like when all of our insecurities, if you were around, it's like the churches were filled. And why were the churches filled? Because our security got knocked out from underneath us. Who's to say what can happen? You see, when we're self-sufficient, we don't need to look to God. But when there is concern growing on, we do look to God. And I tell you what, with all the, the... negative stuff or challenging stuff happening in our culture right now, you need to start getting excited. Because if it keeps getting worse, guess what's going to happen? People are going to realize that they need something more than what they already trusted in. And maybe they'll open their ear to the voice of God and get back to receiving God into their life and putting things of the kingdom of God as priority. 
And so we as believers should not be discouraged, even though it is challenging at times, and sometimes there's persecution, and sometimes you think, well, my goodness, is nobody going to show up at a meeting kind of deal? God's always at work. This is not our world, it's his world. And even though Satan's a roaming lion and he seeks to devour people, God's Holy Spirit's at work. Are you going to have your heart and spirit quickened to be able to be in line with his work? And it may not be when there's more challenging times in our nation, and we do not want that to happen, of course. But it may already be around you in your workplace, in your friendship circles, people who have hit hard, challenging times, and their security's been knocked out from underneath them, and they're looking for different directions, and you're too hesitant to speak up. You're too hesitant to be rejected, maybe, if you spoke out. But just look at them simply and say, you need the Lord. I told somebody here this morning that um, uh, is not a part of our church, and, and I came across them, and, and they were hesitant on something. I just looked at them, and I said, I want you to know something. God wants you. God wants to be in a relationship with you. And so I'd given him a book, and he, I said, you keep that book. You read it whenever you feel led to read it. And you and I have the opportunity to minister hope into people's lives that are around us because there is hopelessness that exists that's going going. And maybe you're in that place here this morning as you come, a place of hopelessness. Well, God has something for you, and we have something to offer if we will step out in obedience to offer the Lord Jesus Christ. I look forward to meeting Jeremiah Lamphere someday. There's a lot of saints. The thing I like about him is he wasn't a preacher. He, he wasn't some great historical figure of notoriety like a, a Jonathan Edwards or a George Whitfield or a Charles Finney or a Billy Graham, right? He was just an ordinary business guy who said, hey, I'm going to give it a shot. Here's some flyers. Show up. Let's just start praying and see what happens. The prayer revival of 1857 actually spread around the world, and I, if I had time, I would go into some of it. It was the first American revival that actually had a, was transported to other countries. People began to pray and began to seek God. So this whole aspect of us um, needing to give heed to prayer, it comes down to you and me, simply put. Could you take an initiative in prayer to gather a few around you? What about your life group? Do you sort of head into the refreshments and let's talk about this passage or reflect on the met? Are we spending time in prayer? You see, in James 5.16, it describes that uh, Jeremiah Lamphere guy. It says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I use it out of the New King James Version there because I, I, that's where it uses the word fervent prayer. Fervent prayer or bold prayer. It can make things happen. It's powerful because we're praying to a powerful God. That verse, though, that's in James wasn't referring at that time to someone like uh, Jeremiah Lamphere. It was referring to Elijah. And it says this. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He's just a regular guy that would have bled if you would have cut him. 
that had his own concerns and weariness. If you know the story of the prophet Elijah, he, he had a lot of concern that was going on. But he prayed in his particular day. He had King Ahab, and uh, Israel was not following God. They were worshiping Baal, which was a foreign deity, and they were far, far from God. And God called Elijah to speak prophetically to the nation and speak prophetically to the king. And one of the aspects had to do with the whole subject of rain and the drought that they were in. Can we relate, right? And it says this, he prayed, Elijah prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Can I go back to the verse right before that? Elijah was a human being, even as we are. What? He prayed? He prophetically spoke, and God answered his prayer? Yep. He was a man. He was a human being, just like each one of us in this room. And God used him like God used a businessman in 1857, and God can use you in 2022, an ordinary human being, to cause some extraordinary things to happen. But we begin by being united in prayer, and we ask for the God of the heavens to open him up and rain down his blessing upon us as a people for his glory. So I want you to take your word. We're going to look at these words of Jesus that I mentioned to you. If you got your word, uh, look to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. And Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples and his followers. So you need to file along with me on your electronic device or if you got your word. But this is what it says in chapter 11 of Luke. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So we've mentioned this before, that the only thing that's actually recorded in Scripture that they asked Jesus to teach them was not teach us how to care for people, teach us how to perform miracles, teach us how to preach the Word of God. You know, it was teach us how to pray. And they were saying, John taught us how to pray, John the Baptist, and so could you teach us how to pray? And so he steps into it and he says this. He said to them, red letter words now, these are words of Jesus. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, does that sound familiar to you? That's what's called the Lord's Prayer. It's an abbreviated part of it, and Luke puts it here. It's at an actual different place in the chronological timeline of Jesus, and Jesus sort of probably repeated himself, don't you think? It's like, well, here they are. They're asking again how to pray. So our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And, and maybe you've memorized that, you've quoted it together, right? And there's a lot to unpack in there. We're not going to unpack it, but Jesus was giving a model example. It's actually not the Lord's Prayer. It's actually the disciples' prayer. This is how you should pray. 
And so when we come to pray with fervent prayer before God, we have this acknowledgement that He is our Father. And the Greek word there is, uh, or the, the word in that day was Abba, Abba or Abba, which was an endearment term. Some people say it's like saying daddy, daddy, and it's really not quite like that because it has a much more reverential spirit to it. But father was an, an enduring term. Now, some of us had good dads, some of us haven't had good dads, right? And so father has all different kinds of meanings to people even today, which is sad. But the idea of an Abba father was one who loves, one who cares, one who's providing, one who wants to encourage us. And so when we come to pray, we're praying to the heavenly father, not just some absent God out there. We're hoping to, hey, can you see my hand? Can you see my hand? I got, I, I got some needs. I got something I want to pray about. Yeah, he's right there with us. And it says, thy kingdom come, which means we're praying for his reign, his rulership to happen in our world, in our situation, in our uh, circle of friendships, in our family, whatever it may be, that we want your kingdom, your reign to be present in our life. And that is saying what? Jesus says, give us our daily bread. He knows that we have particular needs. And then it talks about forgiving uh, the sins of uh, others and for us to forgive, uh, have our sins forgiven as we forgive the sins of others. So Jesus is instructing them. And a lot of times we get all caught up in, in uh, uh, religion and institutional stuff. Uh, and lights just need to go off in the middle of a worship service, I think. And we need to say, okay. What's this about? It's about sitting with Jesus and letting Jesus teach us. And if you're serious about fervent prayer, if you're serious about personal waking, awakening, if you're serious about revival and renewal in churches, Jesus can teach you and I. And we need to gather ourselves before Jesus and learn how we need to pray to be united in extraordinary prayer. For God's hand to work in our midst or in our situation. And so he leads off with this, this recap of the Lord's Prayer. And then he says this. Verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say. Now what he's doing here is he's sharing a story. It's actually uh, would be referred to as a parable. Jesus spoke in stories a lot. And uh, if he was to come in here today and be the master communicator today, he would probably share a lot of story, a lot of story. So here's the red letter words. These are words of Jesus, all right? They're highlighted as red, but they mean that they're his words when you're looking at Scripture, if you got one of those versions. And he is now going to tell you and me a story. And the story he's going to tell is actually a story I've been personally bothered by most of my Christian life. I just sort of say, yeah, whatever. You ready? <laughs> it's right on the hills of him talking about the Lord's Prayer. Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. So you have to understand in that day, uh, they didn't have a Holiday Inn uh, Express uh, they didn't have any other kinds of hotels, really. Uh, if you were going to go into a city, you end up staying with somebody, or maybe somebody had an inn kind of thing, um, like when Jesus was born, right? But it, it, that was uh, not some separate big building. It was in your home. 
And then you need to understand that hospitality was highly regarded in that culture in that day. That you would take care of your friends, that you would provide for your friends. And then you got to understand that the houses that people had, that they would have friends stay in, were not multi-bedroom houses. Like when they looked up on Zillow, most of them would just simply say one bedroom, outside bath. All right? It wasn't like we realize today. They all slept pretty much in the same room, in the same area. Now, there might, might have been in, in some nicer homes or more wealthy people, a couple bedrooms. I don't know. But they're all bunkered in there together, and it's midnight. It's midnight, and this friend shows up. And what are you going to do when your, one of your good friends from out of town show up? You're going to say, hey, go down with the, the, the people in tents down the way. No, you're going to say No. You come into our house, and then it would be expected of you to have bread. Now, this isn't bread that you would have got and brought at uh, Albertsons or Stater Brothers or wherever. This was bread that was made daily, and you always sort of made enough bread to be able to care for, for the family or maybe somebody else in need. This is a huge, huge embarrassment because the friend comes, yeah, come in, and then they realize they have no bread. And suppose the one inside, all right, answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. You ever had your kids sleeping and somebody does something to wake them up? Oh, that doesn't make you very happy. Well, this neighbor buddy of his, he's like, don't be bothering me. We're all bunkered down for the night. This is a big time sleepover, and we're just sleeping bag after sleeping bag here, and we're shoulder to shoulder, and the kids just finally got quiet, and I want to sleep, right? Because they can keep you up at night. And you come, and you start banging on the door. Well, go away. Go away. Shh. So it's a very real time story for them. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your, catch this, shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So he knocked, and the guy yelled at him, go away. I'm not responsible for your friend that showed up at midnight. And he keeps knocking, knock, knock, knock. Go away. No, shh. Go away, kids. Knock, knock, knock. He stands up. I need some bread for my friend that just showed up. Knock, knock, knock. Knock, knock, knock. Knock, knock, knock. Are you like me? One of my pet peeves in life are people that are insensitive. It's like their sight lines don't go very far. They're real myopic. Me, me, me. My world, Right? I would have thought, this guy, how rude. Stop knocking and go away. Well, he couldn't go down to, you know, the 24-hour drive through He needed to feed his friend. And he just kept knock, 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 knock. And finally, what does the guy, the neighbor do? He gets up. He gets up and he provides the bread for him shameless audacity. 
I like how it records it that way, shameless audacity. How are you when it comes to making your request to God? Are you seen as someone who has shameless audacity, some boldness, some fervor, some uh, fervent prayer, where you're saying, Lord, I need this to happen? Or have you started to get weak? And maybe it's something you've been praying about and knocking on the door of Jesus for years upon end. Don't give up. Don't give up. Jesus is the one telling us that. He's telling us to have shameless audacity. To me, I'm thinking he's telling us to be rude. I'm really bothered by that. No, he's saying be persistent. And we've talked about it before when we talked about the authority of the believer a few weeks back. That in the spiritual realm, we don't know what's happening in the spiritual realm. And in Daniel chapter 9 and 10, there's this whole story of how Daniel was held back by the prince of Persia, some spirit entity that kept the messenger of God coming to let him know that his prayer had been heard and that God was going to answer. We don't know what's happening in the spiritual realm. We don't know what's happening with the other person that we're trying to pray for their soul to be saved. We don't know what's happening in a situation culturally that needs to be uh, reversed or dynamic. We, we don't know. Just stay with it. Carry, carry, stay with it, stay with it. It may be the last week I want you to unpack directly this whole subject of revival, but stay with it, keep asking, lead the body to keep asking that God would move in our midst. And so though we come to a conclusion in this run this morning, it's just the beginning of us continuing to be persistent in asking God to work. Because what does it say next? In verse 9, these words, maybe you're familiar with them. So I say to you, Jesus says to you and to me, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For who, everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Shameless audacity. Fervent, bold prayer. Keep asking. And what's going to happen? God knows what needs to happen. We pray in his will, of course. But next it says this, so I say to you, next he says this, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He goes back to this father image. Knock, knock, knock. Heavenly Father, I plead with you, I beg with you to act in this situation, to redeem this person's life, to move upon us with your spirit, to change what's happening in our nation. Knock, knock, knock. He's a heavenly Father who loves His children. And He is not going to give you... What? Think about the visual here. If he asks for an egg, he's not going to give him a scorpion. Scrambled eggs, please. 
Who? Who would give a scorpion? Not a loving heavenly father, right? Or a fish. I'll, I'll take the fish and chips, please. What? What's a snake on here for? That's not what God's going to give. He's going to give you good things. Now, you do need to understand this. Sometimes we think we're asking for scrambled eggs, but we're really asking for a scorpion. I mean, we'd never ask for a scorpion, but we think we got this idea of how we think God needs to answer a particular prayer or change a trajectory in life or a life situation. And God's like, oh, I'm not going to give you the scorpion. I, I, I got better things for you than that. And so sometimes when our prayers aren't answered the way we think they should be answered or in the timely manner we think they should be answered, it's the Heavenly Father that's looking out for us. He cares for us. He knows. He wants us to have good, rich things, and He wants to be glorified. Now, this whole aspect of fervent prayer, you need to understand why you and I can pray fervently. In Hebrews, it says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. And what the writer to Hebrews is unpacking in this section is this whole idea that God, uh, through Jesus Christ, we have a high priest in Him, and we have access into the very throne room of God, the Holy of Holies. And so we can come boldly in there, not with arrogance or a haughty spirit or look at me kind of thing, but we come in rightful place and we sit down and we are able to engage in the governing body of the universe and make our petitions known because we are a full invested stockholder. We're a stakeholder in the kingdom of God. And so he looks to us and says, how do you think I should see my will play out in this world? God, this is how I think you uh, could be glorified. And so we come boldly, as it says um, uh, a few chapters before that part in Hebrews. It says this, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So this boldness aspect is rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's not because of what you have done or who you are. It's because of what he has done. And what he has done is he's opened up the very throne room and he says, my blood that was shed brought about not only your forgiveness, but brought about access into my throne room. You no longer need to go through a priest in an earthly dimension because I am now your priest. You come in. And his blood is shed abroad in our life. His blood brought about the defeat, of Jesus, the defeat of Satan when Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the grave. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you remember early on this summer when we renovated a little bit of the auditorium here, I, I didn't know what kind of color of carpet we should put up here to have an altar area. And, and God just impressed him. I just make it crimson red. You can come into the very throne room because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So your boldness is not an arrogant boldness or a presumption. It's boldness based upon the work of Jesus. And so when I come to him and I pray in a unified, shameless audacity for him to work and act, it's not because of me. It's because of him. But many times we don't do well when we come because our minds and our thoughts and our agendas in life are cluttered. They're cluttered with personal self-interest. 
And we need to be seeking what the interest of God is. It's why in James it says this, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So make sure that when you ask, you are asking in the will of God and you are asking for God to be glorified. Why does God answer our prayer? Why does God bring revival? Ultimately, it's for his glory. Have you ever had somebody that wasn't given recognition that should have been given recognition? It's like, oh, wow, this is a great player, this person over here, and you're thinking to yourself, but that was the real superstar. Have you ever had a family member that was just sort of slighted by someone else and their efforts weren't given due acknowledgement? It makes you a little indignant. Well, that's not right. The person that really, you know, deserves some of the fanfare and the applause is what this person over here did. That bothers us. Especially if it's a loved one, a spouse or a child. Like, hey! Well, this whole understanding of giving God the glory, it comes in that same vein. Have you ever been frustrated that God is not being glorified for all that he's doing? Other people receiving accolades or, you know, being given the, uh, you know, the banner statements. But are you bothered that God's not given the glory? In this whole subject of revival, why revival tarries it is, and I wrestle with it and I look at it, I come back to realize that one of my passions, I think really is right before God. I'm ready for God to be glorified in our nation. And I'm ready for God to be glorified in my valley. And I'm ready for God to be glorified in, my son, in my, uh, sco the school systems around here. And in your workplace, I'm ready for God to be glorified in this church. Not look at us, but for His glory. And when you work your way to having a passion for God's glory to prevail in our land, then you're play, praying with right motives. And you pour your heart out to God and you ask Him to move and to bring change. So, that's what we got. Five statements. Why revival tarries? Lord, there must be more. There's a lack of spiritual hunger in your life and mine. A lack of divine belief. Can God really make it? Can He change? I mean, things are going really south. No. He's God. A lack of godly obedience. The Lord's spoken to you about obeying, but you've not followed in obedience, and He's waiting to see if you obey. A lack of deep repentance. Ah, oh, you're sort of sorry for things, but you haven't really found your way to that deep repentance of your sin or good works that you've been trying to have to earn standing with God. A lack of fervent prayer. I believe that's where I would like us as a church to continue to put our efforts into. I'm going to ask Zach to bring up something for me. Um, I've been seeking 
what God would have us do on the heels of this. And um, I was moved not only by that passage that we looked at today about knock, knock, talk and continuing. Because uh, I'm like, hey, we're good. We've had six weeks in this series. We're good. Um, knock, knock, knock. Are we going to keep praying? Going to keep persevering? Shameless audacity? Unified, extraordinary prayer? Moved by the words of Jesus, but moved by that story of Jeremiah Lamphere. I don't know. If he had social media in that day, he might have really ramped up the booster element on Facebook or Instagram. What do you think? Prayer meeting, Wednesday, noon one. He did what he could by passing out uh, leaflets, inviting people to come. I wonder how many chairs he set up that first prayer meeting. What do you think? You know, we set up about 250 chairs in this room for every Sunday. Give you a little bit of space. I know you don't like to sit next to somebody sometimes, right? Chairs. Some people in this church know that I'm a little particular about chairs and their alignment. They give me a hard time about it, but I think neat chairs speak volumes about living a neat life. So, that first prayer meeting of the Fulton uh, Street, he probably had a lot of chairs set up in that meeting hall. As a new mission worker, he was just trying to desperately say, God, what do we do to reach people in Manhattan? They're lost. There's national crisis going on. He had no idea that literally a couple, three months after he started the prayer meeting that uh, Huge recession, Wall Street would collapse. He set up chairs and he waited. Then waited. One guy, another guy. Hold the chairs right there. He probably had more than six chairs set up, but six people showed up. That six turned into a movement of thousands. I've told you in this series on revival, I'm not looking for anything demonstrative. I think it's wrong to do that. We cannot manipulate the hand of God. Revival only comes because God so allows it. But he does expect us to act in faith. And so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn our pre-service prayer time into a circle of white chairs. There's about 12 people that came at 9.30 this morning. Greatly appreciative of that. I know we all have different schedules. Sometimes we've got kids, we've got a haul, and those kinds of things. But instead of seating ourselves out in the chairs or coming up along the altar, you're free to still come up along the altar for our pre-service prayer time. But our pre-service prayer time next week, we're going to circle up right here. I hope I have six. If you're willing to come, be a part of that event. We're not going to go for an hour. 
It's 20 minutes. 9.30 to 9.50. Doesn't matter what Sunday holds, sermon-wise, worship set-wise. We're going to have prayer meeting for the rest of this year. 9.30. Would you join me? Maybe we'll put up those instructions about uh, how much time you can pray out loud or not. I like to have a lot of different people pray, and maybe it's just a word or two of prayer. But we're going to seek the Lord, and, and what are we going to do? We're going to pray in repentance for reconciliations. I was praying for a marriage I knew that was blowing up. This week on the way to church, I said, Lord, I pray for reconciliation in that home. Maybe it's reconciliation between friends. We're going to pray for personal renewal because there's a lot of deadness. Sometimes it's my own deadness. We're going to pray for the redemption of people's lives. We're going to pray for people by first name. We're going to pray for church revival. So, this is not the end of a series. It's actually the beginning of a time of weekly prayer for us. I invite you to put that on your schedule. Your kids need to come. Put them in a gray chair with that famous babysitting device called the screen. Just make sure they have the headphones because we're going to be praying out loud up here. And don't be intimidated by prayer. It may be that you're just quiet that week, but we're going to pray. I'm not looking for anything. We may pray to the end of the year and God may release us, but he's asked me in these weeks to return to a church prayer meeting. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to close. Talking about the Lord's love again for us. But if you feel a need in your own life for God to work, Come boldly to him. Maybe it's hard for you to pray for others, to pray for a church because of the pain that's in your own life. Continue to knock, knock, knock because the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. If you've never crossed the line of faith to have a vibrant living relationship with Jesus, you can do that this morning. Be more than glad to pray with you after service. If you want someone else to pray with you, there's prayer workers that stay up over here. But each of us to our own with where we're at. The real altar call for today is next Sunday at 9.30. Need to leave the stack of white chairs because maybe we'll fill up this whole area with white chairs. But if there's only six, there's only one. I'm good. We're just seeking to be obedient to God and ask him to move. So ushers, would you come at this time to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as the connect cards? If you have any particular prayer needs, you can list them on there as well. But I want us to sing. I want us to sing our way out here this morning. Ted was just wanting to make sure the electricity is still on. Oh. But uh, I want us to pray, and then we're going to sing. And... Um, there's just something anxious in me still about ending this series. I know. But it's a beginning. It's not an end. Let's pray. Jesus.
as we've heard your words today about knock, knock, knock. That we need to seek you, that we will find. We will ask, it'll be given to us. Lord, may you give us a holy discontentment for our lack of prayerlessness in our personal lives, for us even as a church. But may you call us in to fresh seasons of prayer and intercession. Jesus, you were zealous for your house. You were righteously angry when you saw what was happening in your temple and you said, my temple shall be a house of prayer. Lord, may this church, as well as others, may we be your house of prayer. Lead us in these weeks ahead as we gather at 930. Lord, we offer up our lives and our ministry, for it's your ministry that you've gifted to us to steward. In your name we pray.
violently inside of my let's sing it out i don't have time to maintain these regrets when i think about the way he loves us oh how he loves us oh how he loves us oh how he loves us oh yeah yeah he loves us oh how he loves us oh how he loves us oh how he loves us let's sing that again quietly yeah he Let's worship him this morning and sing that again. Yeah, he loves us. Yeah, he loves us. He loves us. Oh, how he himself said greater love has no one than this and one lay down his life for his friends you are my friends if you do what I command you and he went and laid down his life that love may it compel you this week as you go out into the highways in life and compel others to come into the kingdom of God for he died for them and loves them equally as well God bless have a great week <laughs>